Hey, it's the intermission. My name is T. Christie. I'm sitting here with Brian William Finifter. Greetings. Your, your hair looks great today, Brian. Thank you. It is. And Trey the Amazing Stokes. Hey, what happened to Michael? Wearing a hat. That's nice. Your hat's nice. His hair's better. Yeah, it is. Michael, it's weird to sit here on the couch with, it's a, it's an open hole on the couch with a mic pointing <laughs> it's at it. It's like we've got a mic for Elijah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're doing an intermission now. Well played, man. But first, of course, we place always the mic for Elijah. <laughs> we killed what? Brian. There he goes. There's, there's, <laughs> <laughs> Why would you bust out the Elijah reference? Because we're all Jewish, right? It's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm barely Jewish. <laughs> are you, are you, you're so, not Jewish at all. I'm not, but only only by uh, you know inclination, but Jesus not by Christ. actual birth. Not, my mom is uh, only, uh, not uh, Jewish. I, I'm Jewish only through personality. <laughs> wow. Right. Okay. So anyway, we just did a commentary for uh, Tim Burton's second Batman film, Batman Returns. Trey was on that. That was a great episode. If it's not out yet, wait for it, and then definitely download that the second it comes out. But we just think it was good. I brought up a, a, something that I, I thought was kind of important, almost in terms of artistic, uh, in terms of recognition of artistic ability. And I actually had a leading question, but let me set up what I was talking about. I, I had said, you know, we we kind of give Tim Burton shit. Uh, as we do Danny Elfman, for it's like, yeah, he's such that guy. Every time his movie is that movie, and, and his, every art department always has to do the same job because it always looks the same because it's a that guy thing. And I was like, you know, we make fun of that, but it's there are not a lot of guys or women or anyone. There's no people in the Hollywood system in any facet, in, in music or art department, directing, acting. Well, acting, I guess Shatner, but acting <laughs> or, or anything where it's like, you know, every single thing they do kind of has that thing on it right that sort of spin that sort of them thing that permeates their entire career interesting and you want to high five tim burton where it's like dude you completely made that a thing well done now that was not the topic of this intermission i had to set that up for the topic the topic was the question that uh, occurred to me and i wrote it down so i could remember it because i was i wasn't going to remember that but the topic is i kind of in terms of contrarianism want to say hey dude you know what tim burton yes good job the question for the intermission is, is that actually a limitation? Is that actually a, he can't do other things? Or is that a, no, you know what, Tim Burton can do whatever he wants, but he always does that and that's cool about him. Like with Spielberg, it's daddy issues and sentimentality. That's that's sort of vague and nebulous. You can do that on anything. But is the fact that Tim Burton, this is not an intermission about Tim Burton, is the fact that Tim Burton does that all the time where it's like, oh, that's a Tim Burton movie, isn't it? A you should positive see, value or a negative is value? Is that a positive yeah. value or a negative value? Does that make you go, well, that's his thing? Is that pigeonholing him? Or is that a, I can't believe he's able to make so many different movies with that aesthetic? I mean, you can see it as a good thing or a bad thing. Like, there's no live action anywhere in The Nightmare Before Christmas. It doesn't look like any movie you've ever seen in your life, but it still smells like Tim Burton, even before he, he didn't even direct it. Selleck directed it, but it's a Tim Burton art direct kind of movie. Is that a bad thing or is that a good thing? What do you guys think? In terms of, we'll start with Tim Burton. I mean, generally speaking, do you think of that as a, it sucks that Tim Burton always does that, or fuck Tim Burton, he always does that, or Tim Burton's cool, he came up with that. I think if you're going from the you know the highbrow arts uh, side of the field, I th I don't think it is a good thing. I think you know it's it, it would put more value in do something new every time Kubrick well, or something. Yeah, well, partly, partly in the sense yeah, that Kubrick had his tropes as well. Yeah, but, and uh, and anybody, and it's and that's the ultimate thing is it's always going to be a balance between. You, as a person, you change over time, but or even over, over any amount of time, you're still you, and you're still you're only ever building on what you previously were. So you are still going to change and evolve. But there's a kernel somewhere. The essence of you, to be really pretentious the about Burton it, kernel. is is the Burton essence. 
but if you are if you are a human being and especially if you are an artist or a creative person professionally you should be evolving and growing and okay and going through if you know going through something at 25 is going to be different than what you're going through at at 50 and if you really are an artist and making quote unquote art with a capital a then what you are making should reflect that in some well, way, I, shape, or form. I guess the question would actually be more specifically phrased as, at what point are you seeing evolution, and at what point are you seeing someone who doesn't know what they're doing? Somebody who's just bouncing all over the walls. You know, yeah. this, this guy directed this, then he directed fucking that. At which point do you get a director who's like, he did this, and then he did that? Uh, what's the difference between someone who kind of just scattershots all over the field and someone who's like, I can see how this has informed them? Is Tim Burton that guy? I mean, Tim Burton, no, he, he kind of, in the last not. 10 years, he's gotten into a funk where it's like, I'm going to do Johnny Depp with this makeup. I'm going to do Johnny Depp with that makeup. I'm going to do Johnny Depp with this makeup. But and and you, you don't know what the reality of the situation is. <laughs> and Helena Bonham Carter, because I'm, da I'm dating her, so there you go. Uh, are they married now, whichever. Yeah, I think they're married. But, you know, you don't know what the reality of the situation is, it, as happens in all the time in Hollywood, where, you know, you did this thing, and it was really successful, and then the studio only ever wants you to make that thing ever again. And you come to them, and you say, but I have this other thing that I would really like to do. And they go, we don't care. We're not going to make money off of that. Shut up and do the Johnny Depp and makeup. So, but, but you don't know what that situation is in, in any situation. In the chat, and I'm going to throw this one to Trey, Clayton Spinney points out, well, just using those terms, you can totally smell Terry Gilliam and Edgar Wright on all of their stuff. Yeah. They're, they're distinctive, yeah. There's a sensibility to them. Sensibility might be the best word. Sensibility is the word, and 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 I think that again, movies come about in a whole bunch of different ways, and and a, and a director may or may not, you know, be attached to a movie because it's his dream project. It's just sort of like, well, someone needs to direct it. You you wanna? You think and Fincher I, was like I dying to make Dragon Tattoo? He didn't give a shit. <laughs> He's like, I'll do it. I'm gonna do it well, but I'm gonna try. I don't know. I think he, I think he probably wanted to do it. Uh, the um. That's, that's kind of a that, that feels like a finchery thing. That feels like you know this is up my this is in my wheelhouse. Yeah, a little sure. sexy I mean, woman with problems in a, in a dry serial killer movie. But yeah, there's a I mean there's a saying that uh, is 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 you look back on a director's entire career and and they were only making one very long movie. <laughs> yeah, get, is the theory right? Writers say the same thing. You know, like uh, yeah. it's a common writer uh, truth or truism is you know we really only have one story to tell about whatever it is we are. And we just find different ways to tell that story over and over again. Yeah, and so you can sort of see themes that run through writers' work, and you can see that scene themes that run through directors' work mm -hmm. a lot. Um, you know, Fincher has sort of a, a sort of a, a zone that he kind of usually operates in, or, or some things that tie the movies together. Um, yeah, Gilliam, Gilliam is all very much about you know we live in an absurdist universe. I think would be sort of the thematic theme that I would drive mm -hmm. through all of his movies. That the world is you know. World is batshit. You know, the, yeah. the people, even the gods, are crazy. You know, if there's a god, God's insane. Mm -hmm. Your parents are insane. Everybody's insane. You're insane. Yes. Your kids are going make to be your, insane. Make your way. I'm as, insane. Make your way as best you can, uh, kind of through it. Um, Burton, I don't. I don't really see. Not what that it doesn't exist, but I don't see. I don't see like a, a thematic thing as much as literally a visual Just style. A, yeah, it's an art department. Yeah. Thing. But that's because I think Agreed. it's because one of the things about Burton is. Um, I still remember the the interview. I've quoted it before. The interview where he said, "I wouldn't know a good script if it bit me in the ass." I mean, I think literally they, you can hand Burton any script, mm -hmm. and, and he's going it, to it's going to look it's going to look like a Burton movie. Yeah. He's going to put some spirals in it, and he's going to make the the lead character pale with black hair with and spiky hair. And and really, the outlier, the the Tim Burton outlier that shows that he can do things is Big Fish, mm -hmm. which doesn't have that you know has yeah. the, has the least of that sense. I haven't seen that recently. Did you have you seen Big Fish since we've been doing Diff? I haven't, and I haven't seen it since it came out, which was not that long ago. 99, but, um, 2001, yeah, somewhere like that. that. No, no, no. It came out when I was in I think college, more recently than 2003 that. or four. Yeah. I remember seeing it. That It had Dr. Manhattan in it, right? 
Uh, uh, I would have recognized him at the time. So. Yeah, he was. I believe he was in. Uh, no, and Alfred, Albert Finney. Albert Finney. Albert Finney and, was, uh, yeah. was and the big fish. And uh, Ewan McGregor. And was, Ewan McGregor was the yeah. main lead. Yeah, interesting. It's written by John August. That was one was written by John August. He's currently turning it into a stage musical. Um, well, well, the question. I mean, <laughs> ultimately, big fish turn off the dark. Yeah, <laughs> big fish. Hey, that's a hit now. I guess <laughs> that's become a hit. I didn't even realize this when we started, but there is a difference because when I think of Tim Burton, I feel like I've got a category on my hands, but it's not the case. It's Tim Burton's thing is his visual sensibility with regards mostly to art direction, not even actors or the way they move, but more just this is what Tim Burton's sets looks like, and he likes miniatures. It's it's actually more, the broader category is more about sensibility. The only one that comes to mind, Dorkman brought up uh, a counterexample with Michael Bay. He said, mm-hmm. well, you can ev- you can always the spot a Michael Bay yeah. movie, but that's photography. That's By the photography. Well, that's but the, that, that's, that's the, but that falls more into sensibility. That's more like, what does yeah. he want to do with every movie? I think, well, I think we've, we've said, you know, Michael Bay's movies vary in terms of like, well, that movie was really stupid is like, or not. It's like, well, that, that depends on what script they handed him. You know, yeah. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, but there's actually, there's a broad stroke. I mean, they're all sci-fi movies except for Pearl Harbor. Well, bad I, Boys. He did two Bad Boys movies. Oh, you're right. Sci-fi. The Rock, the Rock the first, sci-fi. The first, yeah, the first Bad Boys movie, I think, is a really is a really solid movie. So he's a guy who likes sci-fi, but generally speaking, he just likes... He's the guy action. who gets handed a lot of sci-fi. He likes an action before movie. Before then, he did like Bad Boys. And he like likes that. an action movie with the anamorphic lens, man. Yeah. I, I, I think the distinction here is between the actual storytelling and the whatever the visual aspects of it is, because... As we've said before, I don't think it was on the returns commentary, but you know, Tim Burton is an amazing production designer slash art director. He's a mediocre director <laughs> and a really bad storyteller. Really bad storyteller, yeah. And and Michael Bay is this, like Michael Bay is an abysmally bad storyteller. He's an amazing cinematographer and photographer. It's that distinction that you want to make. It's what is the sensibility in terms of the themes and stories they're telling? Spielberg has his you know, daddy issues motif yeah. and, you know, everybody yeah, else has definitely. their own. But the, I don't think Burton has that storytelling motif that carries through all of his themes. That makes me wonder if perhaps there is an open slot in the universe and the zeitgeist for a rock star art department lead. Imagine Men in Black, art directed by Tim Burton. Imagine you know, that kind of thing where someone who has that much influence on the way something looks and apparently looks are a big deal because Jack... Skellington's been on every fucking Hot Topic tote bag for the last 15 years. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, art department is a big deal with the movie going public. I wonder if there's a space in the world for a rock star art department guy. There has been in the past. The one that comes to mind is Ken Adam is the name that I think of. And Ken Adam in the 60s was the art department, was the art director or production designer, production designer, I guess, probably, for like the James Bond movies of that era. And that whole sort of like giant cavernous... Layer of the volcano know, base. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah. That Ken Adam had that. You know that that when you think of that weird sort of '60s James Bond thing, that mod. That style. was like yeah, yeah, that mod style. That's you know, Ken Adam. He also, I think, he also designed uh, the War Room and Doctor Strangelove, hmm. um, I believe. So it's uh, you know same same kind of thing. That weird sort of like bizarro, gigantic. You know, everything in the future is a circle. Vibe, <laughs> you know, everything is made a of circles. circle and a smooth surface. Exactly, and a polished surface. Um, Ken Adam was a, a name that I learned early on. You know, being a James Bond fan, like you know, oh yeah, that's a, that's a Ken Adam set. You know? Right. That's there was. A, I just recently saw. I uh, just a plug, I guess, because they don't need plugs, but whatever. They're one of the most subscribed channels on YouTube. The Vlog Brothers just did an offshoot series uh, called Crash Course, which is 
every week we release a 10 minute history or science lesson and it's really fun to watch and it's really interesting and they find basically they're very good science or history teachers uh, and then SciShow and SciShow is like a th- four or five times a week kind of thing where just this week to date this I guess but no one knows because it doesn't matter uh, they just they just bored into a lake in Antarctica that's never been bored into before. Oh, yeah, right, like, right, we right just on. found all these new parasites. We found these new cool you know, microbes and shit like that. And they do shit like that. And he was talking about, or was it Minute Physics on YouTube? I'm, there's three plugs right there. Go. Subscribe now. Uh, he was talking about how if we lived in space, we would not be so obsessed with cubicle living situations. We'd be obsessed with spherical ones. Because it's ultimately it boils down to what are you doing with the space and what are the, the limitations of that space? And he said, well, in space, you're not worried about gravity or particularly air pressure. You're worried about surface density and the way that you can you can compress something in a way that will hold its shape. And he said, yeah, in that situation, you're looking at blobs and spheres, not cubes for everything in human society, which kind of tailgated on a thing I'd previously noticed where we are really obsessed with squares as a society. All the doors are square and all everything. Anyway, but Well, they're easier to build that way. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that too. Because we're dealing just with gravity. Four <laughs> sh- yeah. Just four shapes. Two to hold it up, one on the top to keep it up, and one on the bottom to kind of define where the bottom is. Uh, I'm kind of looking at the chat room talking about, like, okay, so what are other guys who have had career-spanning sort of things? They're, 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 they're the styling. Hitchcock, if, you wanna th- if, if you're talking about That's more sensibility. Yeah. Uh, and, de- you know, definitely visual style. But Hitchcock is definitely a guy who changed and evolved over time. And... Um, but he definitely had certain storytelling themes and motifs that carry through all of his work. How would you summarize Hitchcock's career artistically? You mean like thematically story-wise? Like what, was, what was he doing? I what was, was he interested in? The first word that pops up at the top of my head in terms of story-wise is paranoia. Uh, and then you know trust along Psycho with that. Psycho and the birds, definitely rope. North by Northwest, Rear Window. It's all about yeah. you know paranoia and trust and suspicion and uh, you know, the suspense that builds out of that. Um, all right. There's actually they they showed uh, they did a double feature at the New Bev a while ago of the Rear Window and then like one of his very last films, if not his last film, and it's actually in color. It's very weird. I don't remember the name of it. <laughs> he, he made several that were in color. <laughs> he did, uh, but Family yeah. Plot was his last one. Family, I think that was which Hitchcock was, died it? in the eighties, right? Seventies. Yeah, I think at, at, early, there, early yeah. eighties, if that. Um, Family Plot was like seventy. Six seventy-seven. I'm gonna say. Yeah, it, was something, it felt like it, it might have been Family Plot, but it was very. It didn't feel like Hitchcock at all, and I'll I'll be honest. I actually walked out of it because it was completely not hooking me in any way, it's, shape, or it's, form. At the wow. time, it was like at the time. Well, at the time it was like Family Plot was like, yeah, he he made about three films too many. His yeah. last films were not. That's what particularly this felt well like. Received. Um, I, actually, someone recently just I saw I didn't get a chance to read it, but uh, as a revisionist said, no, Family Plot is his awesomest movie, where everything finally, you know, his whole life was building up. To it's family the resolution plot. of the Hitchcock yeah. thing, which is funny because I watched Family Plot. Family Plot, we um, I remember seeing it at the time. Have not seen it since. I don't remember even then. Thinking it was particularly good at the age yeah. of seventeen. Wait, what's Family Plot about? It, I, I fucking. It's about. <laughs> I, wa- I walked out. I couldn't. It's, it's tell about you. Bruce Dern, and there's something about it. There's an inheritance, and uh, there's a, a yeah. dead guy it, and an old scary Hitchcock house. Descendants. And, yeah, it, uh, it. I don't remember it being particularly good. That you know, but I have not. Literally, haven't seen it since then. But uh, someone actually wrote some review that I actually meant to check out. About, <laughs> no, Family Plot is, you know, you're missing the point of Family Plot. It's actually his greatest work. But I don't know if I. Well, yeah, I this is coming that. the same week that someone on Yahoo made. A strong case, or at least what he felt was a strong case, <laughs> right. that the Phantom Menace is actually the most interesting and challenging. There you go, George Lucas. How's the house he fit into this uh, theory? Oh, What's his, uh... George Lucas. The thing I noticed the most going back through and seeing all of George Lucas's films, he actually has a mommy problem. Ooh. He has a mommy issue. 
in almost all of the uh, major, I'm thinking now in terms of Phantom Menace and Star Wars, uh, he has a thing where you leave your mom and then your mom can't live without you kind of problem going on. Wow. Where that, that happens very obviously in the prequels with regards to he leaves Shmi and then Shmi dies without him and that kind of thing. But I've, I've seen a lot of things where Lucas, and uh, it also shows up in the Indiana Jones trilogy a little bit. The trilogy. The, all three Indiana Jones movies. Yes. <laughs> uh, where if you leave your uh, maternal protector, she'll, she'll be screwed without you. In the chat room, they're talking about Scorsese, oh, Spike I, Jones. Mm. I have to bring up a point. That does not happen in Red Tails. <laughs> yes, I have seen Red Tails. Yeah. We got a submission coming up after this intermission. All right. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, there's, uh, Wes Anderson. There's a visual Anderson. style. Yeah, there Wes you go. Yeah. Yeah. You're, so you're, square, you're squared off photography. Uh, you're, you're your sort pastel of, colors. It's yeah. it's not even, I, I wouldn't even say it's classical framing devi- uh, advice. It's more, he, Wes Anderson is literally, uh, he's a, kind of a symmetry fag. He's kind of really into everything has its own mirror it's another photography thing. Like he just likes taking these pictures. He like squared and off. He he's the kind of kid who would stand excuse. between the train rails and st- and take the picture of the vanishing point, that kind of thing, where it's like everything is mirrored. Or he'd take that picture that he would later post on Facebook of the lake reflecting the sky, and it's like, right. oh, that's a that's a that's beautiful, man. He's the double rainbow of directors. <laughs> <laughs> what does Bill Murray mean? I'm double seeing rainbow. others. There's a lot of great stuff going on in the chat room. If you're not in the chat room, you should register at the forum and then become uh, aware of when these chat room things happen. But um, uh, uh, Gaspar No, Lars von Trier, Gus Van Sant. And there's another. There's a good list here of um, Shyamalan. We'll get into Shyamalan <laughs> later. <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know if I see a thematic uh, line through Shyamalan. Uh, there, again, there's not a thematic line other than the fall of... What at one point was a good director, <laughs> but it, that's a meta theme, yeah, not a being a contained. Interesting. Actually, uh, I'm reading back through the chat log here. I have to actually scroll up because that chat's going so fast. But here's something that Jim said. I Jim, the guy who made our our help video on the on the front page of Diff at the time of this recording. Uh, I, I, I'm going to expand upon what he said to make a point out of it. Maybe the better qualification is: Can a director that you know for one thing do? Another thing, and we said Tim Burton is Tim Burton, but he did Big Fish. Yeah, can Michael Bay shoot The Wrestler or something like that? Could, could, well, no. Can you know and, and and pick your guy, and then can he do something that's the antithesis of that? If he can pull that off, maybe he's just that's just what he likes, as opposed to that's all he knows. Could yeah. Wes Anderson make Garden State? You know that kind of thing. Who couldn't make Garden State? But the the it's a uh, fuzzy question. I you know I'm 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 kind of impressed by directors. One that I noticed recently, I, I, I know I've mentioned it at some point, um, who do consistently good movies that you can't go, oh okay, I see that's that same guy. Yeah. Um, is James Mangold, who um, is, and you, can you go name a movie he's done? <laughs> it's like, I can't. It, um, I can't. He did Walk the Line, won all kinds of Oscars and shit. Whoa. Okay. Um, okay. I did, like Walk the Line a lot. Yeah. I think it's he, good. He did uh, three ten. Then turned around, did three ten to Yuma. Which uh, is one of my favorite movies. How have I not heard his name? Uh, and then he, uh, and then he just recently made, um, uh, oh, what the hell was it? Uh, uh, Night and Day. He made a, oh. he made Whoa, a, the he, Cameron Diaz he made a big Tom stupid Tom, you know, which is which bullet is, time slow motion. Thing. Yeah, yeah, which uh, it doesn't have any bullet time in it. It's actually, it's actually, it's actually kind of not awful that movie. I was actually surprisingly entertained by it, um, but. And they, and he's done some other movies too. He started. Uh, he made his first movie. I think was uh, called Heavy. I think was his first movie. That was an indie. But he's also done a couple of other movies where it's like, wait, that's a, yet another good movie. And you, I, I can't find a way to draw lines between those movies and right. find a thread at all. 
Right. Um, they're Which all, I, I they're think all well made. And actually, come to think of it, another one. Um, he has a little bit of a style, but uh, I Matthew Vaughn. I mean, uh, you know, can you find the link between Stardust and X Men First Class and Kick Ass and Layer Cake that you can go? Yeah, that's the same that's, guy. That's clearly. Totally yeah, I don't, I don't know. And then X Men. X Men First Class yeah. doesn't doesn't fit at all. Yeah. yeah well, that's that's the flip side of the coin is the directors that have no apparent you know have no style that overwhelms you so much that you know they do any number of movies. I, and I think Ron Howard is a good qualific a good example of that. You, know, you look at Apollo thirteen, yeah. and then you look at you know Da Vinci Code or whatever. You that's just <laughs> gone in sixty seconds. Gone in sixty. The original Wait, Howard. Wait, directed Ron Howard didn't. The Ron, original he did. He did the original. I that was one that. of his first. The original movie. what? Original Gone in 60 Seconds. I didn't know that. Today I learned. Wow. Okay. The, with Angelina Jolie? No, no, no. No. That that's was not a the original. That's the remake. The original was a Corman movie that, uh, that oh, he made. I, okay. Yeah. I, I didn't... I, I have given so little shit about even the more recent Gone in 60 Seconds, I didn't even know I it was I think it was Gone in 60 Seconds. It wasn't that one. It was some other car heisty movie, but I'm pretty sure that his movie that but he made for Corman. It was like, that might have been his first directing thing. You can, you can prove me wrong on IMBDB, but... Uh, uh, anyway. Uh, but ultimately, the question is, which... Which is the preferable case? Is is it the guy that you go, yeah, that's totally Tim Burton or whatever, or it's the guy that's you know you can't you can't he, tell. It's just the story. Well, it's, it's it's just the story, and you don't see the director as a presence at all. Well, it's just the people on the screen in the world that that that's been created. Without even going into where that that question would want to lead you, right off the bat, I'm smelling the difference between someone who you go, that's an auteur, and that's a workman director. Like you know, you could give Paul Feig. Transformers, and he'd make a Transformers movie. <laughs> you could give insert any of seventy five directors who's directed two movies you liked, but they're completely different movies. Any script, and they're like, okay, I'll direct. Give Trace Stokes Transformers, and you get a movie. It's like <laughs> I'll do something, yeah, for yeah, that paycheck. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure out a I'll, movie happens. I'll here. shoot it. You may not like it, but you know, then I'll be on my island and I won't care. Yeah, <laughs> in my Ferrari. Yeah, I, there's no roads. Yeah, I but then you'll end up reusing <laughs> shots on, be, on a beach in a Ferrari, <laughs> sunk into the sand. <laughs> I, just, I just spin like, the chitty, wheels. Chitty, bang bang. I spin the wheels till the tide comes in. Bring me go, another Ferrari. I just go out there at three thirty and spin the wheels for <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> That brings us back to traffic the, was murdered. One of the very original <laughs> questions of this entire kind of discombobulated conversation, which is, why do we? Basically, we don't. The answer is we don't. I say, why do we give respect to people who do the same thing over and over again? We don't. Actually, well, we, give, we give respect to people who do something that we like over and over again. But we don't. Like if the Wachowskis had done several movies that felt like The Matrix after that, we'd be like, I got those guys pegged. But then they did Speed Racer and V for Vendetta. Well, I guess it's kind of close-ish, but not the exact same thing. They're not doing philosophical kung fu movies. It, uh, I but Tim Burton has kind of... There's philosophy in V for Vendetta. I never watched Speed Racer, thank God. But uh, I would say there's... And you don't know, do you? I would say there's a, that certain kind of philosophical sensibility. It's more political in V for Vendetta, obviously, yeah, yeah. but that same but, I mean, We seem to give more credit for do it a lot, we like it, as opposed to do it a lot, Stop. There are, I mean, there are directors, that, and it's a relative, Shyamalan, it's, an example. It's a relatively yeah. recent phenomenon that you know. It's like back in the day. I guess I mean, you, you know, when you like, if you back in the day, you go, "Oh, John Ford's got a new movie." You know, that's all you need to go. You know, if you like John Ford, it's you're a gonna, western. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm there. you're gonna go there, and even if it's not a western, it's still a John Ford movie. Or if that's it's awesome. a Fellini, yeah, you it's know, a Fellini. You know, you know what, what it is. is? If it's a Hitchcock, I'm going. <laughs> yeah. you know, she's gonna look out the window, and it'll all make sense to her, but yeah. not us. And we have the, you know, we have the equivalents today. It's like if you go, Jim Cameron's got a new movie. You, you have a fairly clear idea what you're gonna be in for. Epic, cool, epic, sci-fi, cool, techno thriller. You know, yeah. some kind of another thing. If uh, David Fincher. 
you don't necessarily know what it's going to be about, but you still kind of have a vibe. You about have an expectation of quality and tonality. You know what that is, and uh, you know at Spielberg, you say, yeah, okay, Spielberg, I know. You know the horse is going to look back, and the John Williams music will swell, and I get it. <laughs> um, and it it may you know now it's the only thing is now it's you know no longer. And it's guaranteed to be an awesome blockbuster that I will cherish and love for the rest of my life. For the first decade, he was that. But now he's actually had some misfires that uh, you know didn't work out. The chat room is giving me a cool idea here. And I'm, 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 Thank a, God. I'm not going to give any credit to anyone in particular because several people have said both of these. Um, but these two directors are about to name. I think they both make exploitation movies every time. And I think one of the two of them knows it. Tarantino, Snyder. Mm. They both have a collective yeah. career-wide stamp. I think Tarantino knows what he's doing. I, I think he miscalculates what the audience wants him to do, but he knows what he's doing. <laughs> I think he's past caring uh, what the audience wants yeah, him to do. I, and I think I, if you're talking about Inglorious Bastards, I think that's exactly the case. He, I think, in the case of Inglorious Bastards, he thinks he, it fits. He he purposefully tricked you into think, making you think that's what you were getting to to tell you no, that's you're you're fucked for wanting that. <laughs> we'll have to but see anyway. what happens with Django Unchained. We will indeed. We will um, indeed. But you know, but Quentino's you know in the fuck you phase of his career, where he's like, I'll, I'll make anything I want, goddammit. Yeah, and he said as much. He's like, you know, I'm only gonna make films as long as there's actual literal film to make them with, and then I'm done. What really? And he said that. Yeah, he's like, as long as hardcore film guy. Oh, super super hardcore film guy. Uh, yeah. Although, As opposed to digital guys, at the point we're making there, he's not going to shoot on a digital camera. Yeah. Never, never, in, never in his life. He literally won't be able to. So yeah. Yeah. it's getting tougher and tougher. Interesting. But I th- well, I, I don't think that that take on it exactly right. I think maybe Snyder thinks he has more depth, although I don't think he's fooling himself quite that much. But I think Tarantino loves the exploitation and knows he's you know aping the t- uh, exploitation aspect of it he but can go he, in so deep as to say i'm doing exploitation movies. well he's he's doing the exploitation thing but there is real solid depth underneath that and and to it well he can tell a story even though he loves he can, exploitation movies and he wants to make exploitation movies he also can tell a story yeah that's tarantino and, well but there's real depth to it i think there's real depth to uh and real commentary to inglorious bastards and i think there's real emotional depth at least to the second half of kill bill and i think the yeah sure kill bill first is a setup for that Mm -hmm. um so it's yes tarantino makes exploitation and he knows it but there's also a a depth there that doesn't exist in with somebody like snyder now where does Zack snyder fit into that what's what's snyder's i think he's a great visual stylist i think you can see that in all of his movies i would i i I would put him, I would put him I alongside is of, uh, poor man's Michael Bay. That, and that's what I was just going to say. I would put him alongside Michael Bay in the sense that he has really, really well-developed visual style in terms of technique, but the the storytelling side of it is not nearly <laughs> as developed. I would, just, I would say that Michael Bay is the poor man's Zack Snyder because given the choice between one movie's, one guy's movies or the other, I actually sure, find yeah, yeah. Zack well, Snyder, Snyder have more to them than a Michael Well, in terms Bay. of the, the actual paycheck Michael that they both probably receive, Michael Bay's is probably a little bigger. <laughs> That might sure. actually connect all the way back to the beginning of this episode. Where we're not talking about their their, it, their poverty or richness. We're talking we're, about as if you were <laughs> right. <laughs> if you exactly. must, if you must take a Michael Bay, fine. But right. t- if you can get a Zack Snyder, go for it. Where Tim Burton said he doesn't know a good script if it bites him in the ass. Bay and Snyder, I think Bay is a superior S- photographer. Well, but, but Snyder. Bay- has a way better track record. You look at Snyder's movies and Bay's movies right now. Tell me whose collection you want on the desert island with you. You go Snyder. I mean, he's yeah. he's I made more movies. Like, yeah, I don't yeah, yeah. think I don't think Bay writes that much. He made I don't think, I don't think he writes. He's, at he's all. doesn't really write. Well, all, direct, I mean, I'm sure all directors he, to a yes, certain I'm, extent. Right. But I think Snyder actually. Certain, yeah. I think he I think he adapted Watchmen. I think he he wrote he wrote Sucker Punch. That was his own original thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I yeah yeah I think he was you know a writer co writer on Three Hundred another adaptation, but. Um, 
you know, then there's something to be said for that too. Is you know that that a director will always or almost always put a stamp on it, whether you know even if it's a script that's handed to them, they'll they can shade it in a certain direction. They'll go, eh, I don't really want to do that scene. Can we have a scene instead where this happens? And they sort of put their put their stamp on it a little bit. But I think you you know that you're not necessarily going to see a thematic through line appear that way. If a guy right. literally is just like, okay, what action movie do you want me to do right now? Okay, well, I want a hot chick with a vapid look. <laughs> so take out all these lines of dialogue where she sounds smart. Mm-hmm. This is my Michael Bay impression. Because <laughs> uh, I, I am having that, and then we got to put her on a car hood and cut off shorts. I mean, come on. Uh, but, uh, you know, but so they can do that. But as far as, like, whatever the story was, it's just like it's just an excuse to, you know, Okay, fine. I'll I'll direct that. You know, I'll do that for you, as opposed to someone who writes and directs, which I think you'll see a little more yeah. like what their personal thing is. Okay, now just to throw a Shyamalan twist on this conversation, Ooh, I didn't see it coming. Two names <laughs> to throw into the pot here, and and in this context, okay. Now give me this, Corman, Waters. <laughs> what do you got, Roger uh, Corman and John Waters? Waters, Waters is kind of. I guess you can kind of say Waters is certainly an auteur. Uh, Waters is probably the clearest example in this discussion so far of the guy who's doing the same thing over and over again, just in a slightly different way. Because he loves it. Yeah, because, and, and because that's what he wants to be doing. Yeah, he's still not, to this I'm day not disparaging he, him that. Yeah, in, in, to this day way. he can't believe that we're paying him for it. So yeah. he's he's happy. So he's yeah. fine. John Waters, I. <laughs> this is a weird thing to say, but uh, uh, Chloe and I were watching a thing with John Waters. And she said that, and as soon as she said it, I was like, marry me. She said, Aww. I want, you know who John Waters is, right? Audience that's listening to this? Let's he's, hope. He's, if you don't Even know, if you've never seen a single one of his films, you should know who John Waters is. John Waters that episode of The Simpsons? is an incredibly yes. skinny guy who's kind of creepy. He's gay, kind of creepy, with a mustache. very, very thin pencil mustache. He's, just, from, he's from Maryland. Just hair off Baltimore. the top of his yes. lips. That's John Waters. That guy, he's kind of creepy, and hey, I'm John Waters, and he's creepy. Um... When Chloe said this, I was like, yup, I, I would like to be with you, please. Um, she said, I wish John Waters was my uncle. I, I wish I had grown <laughs> up with John Waters. Because the more you deal with John Waters in terms of like seeing just his personality talk to another like person, like a yeah. talk show host. He does, he, does, like, he does talks like Kevin Smith does, too, that are worth yeah. watching. He's so... He's a creep, and he's a fucking freak and weirdo and kinky <laughs> guy. And you watch him talk, and you're like, that's a well-rounded motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah. That guy's grounded, yeah. and he knows his shit, and he's weird. I uh, love that guy. Yeah. Not to steal Chloe's thunder anyway, but that's essentially what the Simpsons episode was about. Yeah. Is it too? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a great. It's one of the, one of my favorites. He, he becomes kind of like the family friend slash uncle to you know to Bart, and then Homer realizes he's gay, and as he, anyway, that's yeah. yeah. And, and and Homer takes exception to him because he goes, "I I like my homosexuals flaming," <laughs> and he's not. You know, he's like he seems like a normal guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like he seems so normal. Why? He, he, I hate to bust Mister Perfect's uh, Mister Perfect's little life bubble, but Chloe isn't quite a lesbian. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> not yet, but you're not done with her. Not quite. Uh, John Waters, okay. Roger Corman. <laughs> Roger Corman. Roger Corman. Well, I don't Roger think he hasn't directed that many a, movies. He's a producer. A, well, I, but I of course, I, but of course, it is his studio, and his sensibility does, I think, come through. I don't think Roger Corman. I don't think of Roger Corman as a visual or, or at least storytelling stylist at all. I think of more of a opportunist. No. Like. Friend, like the the famous story is Little Shop of Horrors, the fifty five, fifty six version, where it's yeah. like, there's a set. I got three days. Okay, tomorrow morning. All right, everybody. He calls up everybody. Be there tomorrow morning, and then he spends the rest of that night writing Little Shop of Horrors. Like I think of that as Roger Corman, an outline of Roger. Corman. 
of, of Little Shop of Horrors. But, but uh, we started to talk about Tim Burton. That that was where well, we sort of started. We, we should with that. we should stop and tell you a thing that that um, you know this whole idea of the director as a tour um, is is mostly bullshit. Is mostly bullshit. Um, thank you. Yeah, thank you again, France. Um, <laughs> but uh, the you know because that's a that's a that's a fifties slash sixties thing is the idea that the you know the author of the work is the director um, as. From the studio system, the American studio system, the director was literally like, "We got a boxing picture. You want to do it? Yeah, you know, do it. You get in there and you do it's, it." It's television directing. It's what it's like, television it's like directing like, is today. Point the camera there. Like, say the line. It's already written. You, you, you give us what we need, or, yeah. or you're off. You know, and we'll get some other guy. I mean, yeah. you know, Gone with the Wind and, and Wizard of Oz both had three directors, two of them in common. Um, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Two of the same. I think it was two. At least one of the same guys directed both Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz in the same year. That's a big year. But um, but one of the things that is and uh, and I I was kind of shocked one of the, my earlier film experiences to sort of see this um, because it's not something that right now we're trained because the auteur theory is, has become so all, all encompassing. But um, you know a, a lot of producers see themselves as the author of the movie and not without and, cause, and they literally are putting together the pieces, including hiring a director who will make the movie they want made. Yeah. Um, and I worked with it was on uh, Penn Cemetery where where I talked to Ralph Singleton who's a, who's an amazing guy I think I don't think he's uh, still working anymore I'm not sure but uh, he 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 started out uh, as like a line producer he, he was like line producer on the Conversation and he goes you know worked with Coppola and all that and became a producer produced God knows how many movies and uh, you know and, and hanging out with him he's a real personable guy on the set and and he's very mu- very hands on and very much you know like no everyone's here to make. The movie I'm wanting to get made, mm-hmm. including the director. You know, she can do. You know, Mary Lambert. She can. You know, she has her freedom to do whatever. But she's got to make. She's in the end. She's got to make the movie I'm telling right. her to make. Um, and so he saw himself as like, no, this is my movie. <laughs> you know, forget the bullshit about directors. They do their thing, and the writer does their thing. But it's yeah, all for definitely. me. Um, and I think Corman is that way because obviously Corman was the guy who said, "You write it and you direct it, and, yeah. and make sure it has this." And oh my God, make it! <laughs> yeah. You the know. chat keeps coming up to. Uh, uh, I, I I had thought of this prior to the conversation. I was like, yeah. I was like, mm, I don't know. I guess that makes it a good conversation piece. What about the Cohen brothers? Now the Cohen brothers. If if you had to put a stamp on their career, you'd go got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. Fucking they. The they Cohen make, brothers are kind of Corman esque actually. In the they sense just they, make, they make movies. Like they're I don't know. Just, they're indie. They're 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 guys who have like made a whole career out of being indie and yet winning Oscars. But it's it's important to note that True Grit is the first Corman, is the first Cohen brothers movie that ever passed a hundred million dollars. Yeah. So they, go, they've never had a huge hit. Reverse engineer True Grit. What have not the Cohen brothers been? They have not been blockbuster guys prior to True Grid. They have not been visual stylists in the way that Michael Bay is a visual stylist, or Tim Burton, for instance. Their earlier work they, had a certain... Well, they had a thing. Barry Levinson. Like, yeah, Hunt when Barry Levinson was shooting, and, and, yeah. and they had, they, them and Sam Raimi had a similar style, this sort of yeah. wild camera, handheld camera running yeah. back and forth, like early Sam Raimi as well. But uh, since then, they, they don't do that as much. The, the, the stamp of your Coen Brothers movies is more... Wa- weird people in normal, basically extraordinary people in ordinary circumstances. Um, I, I, I point to Brian because he's the Mr. Meisner guy. Talk about <laughs> ordinary people in extraordinary circumstances. They're sort of the opposite of that. I would say eccentric people in mundane environments in extraordinary circumstances. Does that make sense? Give me two more sentences. No. <laughs> then no, no uh, it does not make sense. Uh, yeah, well, I'm thinking. Of, I, I think I'm you're thinking close like, to making sense, but you're not there well, yet. Well, th- think of like you know, raising Arizona. You know, it 
weird people in an extraordinary situation, but very mundane, you know, low-class Arizona. Or Big Lebowski, bowling out, gotcha. mundane situation, but very quirky characters. Weird setting in a average... No, no, weird, weird characters in a mundane in a, setting. In an average setting. In an average setting, but... Um, weird things happen story. to weird people in an average place. Yes. I would say that's mundane. Fargo, I would that's Fargo, that's Racing Arizona, that's, that's Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Man yeah. Who Wasn't There. Yeah. Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, Hudsucker uh, Proxy. Hudsucker Proxy was their most sort of like overtly magical. I would movie. almost say Hudsucker Proxy is their most Tim Burton-y mo- of movies because yeah. it's the most visually stylized. It's a, kind of a clearly a fake stylized world. I but think, for the most part, mundane world, I think. This is, might be weird of me, chat room, but I want to respond <laughs> to this. The chat room says Eastwood. I say... Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is one of those guys that just he'll he'll make the hell out of whatever you put in front of him. Right, but the, if I had to pick a trend, <coughs> and this might be you know Baby Teague saying this, but Clint Eastwood makes old man movies. <laughs> he makes movies for your parents to go see. I saw Grand like Torino. I saw a Million Dollar Baby. And they I go saw see, uh, what is the Torino. The, the I was going to say the soccer movie, the South African oh, soccer uh, movie. Uh, Victor, whatever, Victor, uh, uh, whatever it was, Mandela movie. Yeah, did yeah. he direct that with Matt yeah. Damon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was it called? Or Hereafter, Not, which was... His Hereafter, which I've only seen the first 10 minutes of. The first 10 minutes are awesome. Invictus. Thank Invictus. you. Invictus. That's it. Thank which you, means victory, I think. Thank you, Maltu. But, um, yeah, well, he's he's an older guy. I mean, I mean, <laughs> when he made Hereafter, I'm like, well, he'll be dead soon, because clearly this, this is on his mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, he makes he makes the movies that... Space a, Cowboys. He makes the, yeah, yeah, he makes the movies that appeal to him. But you go back, you know, 10 years, 20 years, he was making blockbusters. He was making In the Line of Fire... You know, and Unforgiven, and uh, you know, and then he turned around and made Bridges of Madison County, one of the great romances of that uh, of that era of movies. Um, he's really, you know, he's amazing that he, you know, he he literally can he'll he'll make whatever you whatever kind of catches his fancy. And I I don't I, well, the uh, Richard Chickle can you know, his biographer I guess might and we'll do Unforgiven soon, so maybe it'll come up again. But I don't you know he's done so many goddamn movies. You know, I think he just, I think he's just a good, I think, I think, I think the thing with Eastwood is Eastwood is not a visual stylist. He's right. just a good storyteller. Clint Eastwood give him a good story and he'll go, I'd like to tell this story to people and he'll make a movie. Eastwood was immaculately concepted, conceived by Hollywood. Like he is, his yeah. entire life, he was immaculately conceived. Like, okay. He's a product, gonna, he's now, a product of the old studio system. And now you're going to be this badass action star. Okay. Now you're going to be this director. Uh, okay. And then and continue 10 to movies be a later. Star. Again, it's a, it's a. It's a William Goldman thing where he says, you know, the extreme amazingness of Clint Eastwood is like he's been the number one box office star in five different years, but those five different years are like in four different decades. <laughs> so, so if you compare it to like, yeah, he was the number one box office star and the next second one was, was Harrison Ford or, you know, Dustin Hoffman or, you know, or you know, George C. Scott, you know, whatever. It's like he's been the number one box office star for like 40 years off and on and an amazing director who's won multiple awards and rightly so. Now, this is a weird one because we've been talking about directors and their general sort of the way they smell over their whole career. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've even mentioned like the Coen brothers, brother teams that do this sort of thing. Now, here's two brothers that have made consistently identifiable types of movies over their whole career as brothers the entire time. Ridley and Tony. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Yeah. We're talking about the Scott brothers. Yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott was Separate Alien. Links. Tony Scott was Top Gun. Yeah, and they've made movies like to- the two. T- Tony the Scott. Time. Tony Scott was the commercial guy, and Ridley Scott was the more artsy, the think, guy. thinky guy. Yeah. Although that's that's they've both done so many movies recently that it's mixed up a little bit. Ridley Ridley becoming more commercial more often. Not that he didn't have commercial success. I mean, Alien and Blade Runner. Well, Blade Runner was not so much, but Alien was. Big. Alien was huge. And yeah, he, he made yeah. Alien. He made. <laughs> 
He made the two, uh, uh, in terms of like your 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 film school fag movies. He made the two more seminal sci-fi movies of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, Blade I've Runner and Alien. Meanwhile, uh, I've, I've for hated an amazing decade of science fiction. Yeah. yeah. I meanwhile I've hated or and or avoided almost Tony Scott's entire body of work. I actually finally saw breakthrough just this last year. I saw a Tony Scott movie I liked, which was like wow. Deja, Deja vu. Um, Unstoppable. About the train with oh, Denzel Washington, yeah, yeah. And Chris oh. Pine, really, really quite, quite. Tony quite Scott something. did Deja Vu, right? I would. I don't he also know. did Domino. But you, any of you yeah, see Domino, Domino, Domino I, I got Domino. five minutes in. I'm like, ah, whatever this is, I'm done. Tapping out. Yeah. Um, and then Ridley Scott is he's coming out now with Prometheus. That's coming yeah. out this year, yeah. which is like, okay, well, that makes sense at least. Uh, um, well, Ridley Scott recently has been like the more historical fiction kind yeah, of guy. Yeah, I actually like Robin I, Hood and Kingdom of I Heaven. I actually like Robin Hood. I, I apparently am the only human. Well, I'm not the only human in the world because they're making two sequels right now back to back. I'm the only human in America who liked it, but the rest of the world seemed to like it fine. Tony Scott made True, Mo- True, True Romance. True Romance, exactly. True romance. Don't have any idea what that is. Um, you know, but Top Gun never saw it. Never wanted to see it. Uh, days of Days of Thunder. You haven't seen Top Gun? No, Days of Thunder. Screw that shit. Don't care. You ever uh, saw Top Gun? No. There's airplanes, man. Yeah, they're I know. Just, they just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were six. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I went to college for that. <laughs> Didn't you do Drop Zone too? Was that a movie? That was a movie. I don't know if that was one of his. Are you, are you thinking of uh, last, Operation last, Dumbo Drop? Yeah. No <laughs> way. Did he do that? No, no he, did he, did that oh, dude. he didn't do that. Oh, dude. He didn't do that. Doug, Dougie, Dougie, Doug? With Doug. Dougie, Doug. I Dougie, thought it was Doug. one of the Wayans brothers, but I, who the fuck knows? Yeah, anyway, moving whatever. on. Um, you know, Last Boy Scout is like, Last Boy Scout is one of the dumbest movies ever made, but um, with, with like two good scenes. But but I was always but I was always like, Ridley, you know, he's the one who's making like Blade Runner and Alien and, you know, The Duelist, which was actually his first feature, which is actually really, really great too. Um, you know, that's just that's the kind of shit they fill your head with when you go to film school in the 70s. Is, you know. How's this for a, a career? Smell this career for you. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that, at least had some that idea. Ions. That idea comes from someone in the chat room. Or please. Kevin Costner. Um, As they, directors, though. I was directors. They, they like Costner and, and Gibson are different conversations. Yeah. Gibson is epics, is historical significance, is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Costner is epics, historical... Con- well, yeah. Mm. Okay, historical significance, sort of, and I don't, I and don't know. insert plot. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and apocalyptic, and an apocalyptic, and then out good. of the business. Yeah, yeah. As a director. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, yeah, Costner so, did several apocalyptic. Someone who's developing a body of work. Oh, there's another name that reminds me of as well. After this one, someone who's developing a body of work. Just because I saw his most recent film just the other day, um, Clooney starting to evolve a, yeah. uh, a thing. You know, Clooney like Good Night and Good Luck, Ides of March. He's like he likes to do. He likes politics. He likes to talk yeah. about politics and and the media and 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 very very indie sensibility in terms of the movies he directs. Um, you know, because both Ides of March and, and hey. Good Night and Good Luck are both about you know here's a really fucked up thing you know confessions of a dangerous kind to think to, to, to dangerous mind to think dangerous about mind. exactly yeah. um, which then takes us to a guy a guy who like wow talk about all over the map he just makes what Soderbergh yeah Soderbergh will make Stephen Soderbergh he will make any movie he'll make yeah. the hell out of anything uh, I think he's amazing in terms of his Ocean's Eleven Ocean's Eleven, Contagion, Ocean's Eleven, uh, Solaris, Sex Lies, Videotape, Aaron Brockovich. Did he do one thing. of those Tom Cruise movies in the early two thousands, Vanilla Sky, or the other one? No, that was uh, they didn't do Vanilla Sky. Sky. Um, that was uh, Cameron Crowe. Um, but Soderbergh then he turns around and he makes like The Good German, which is an insane yeah. movie, and uh, and uh, you know Contagion, or Ocean's Twelve, which is this really weird indie movie. Yeah, really weird. No, he made he makes those movies so he can make yes. Contagion yeah. and and uh, and The Good German. 
and things like that. There's two the girlfriend great, experience. There's two great names coming up in the chat room right now that both have about you know 90 seconds tacked onto them. Kevin <laughs> Smith. Yeah, well. Yeah. Juvenile, he, never never graduated kind of guy. Yeah. Luckiest man in the universe. Yeah. Uh, a couple good ones, a few good ones. Mostly dick and fart jokes. Uh, and the other one was Woody Allen. Yeah, Woody Allen. Yeah. Now I, I Woody Allen. I, there's I, a guy. There's a guy who actually you can you can plot career growth because you know, Woody Allen started out just making goofy comedies because he was a you know comedian and and liked movies and and did that. But what he really wanted to be is Ingmar Bergman, and so he became Ingmar Bergman for about a decade. <laughs> and he made these just dark, sad little movies that that won him Oscars. Like oh now he's a serious director. Let's give him Oscars. Like Interiors, which the first one was like oh my god, it's like a slight. Literally, that's like, like a Bergman movie. Uh, you know, it's just like, oh, God, yes, please let this be over. But that was like a big deal. Um, but then and then he found like a balance. Um, I think his heyday was about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, Hannah and Her Sisters is a great movie that's both funny and dark. And then um, the the one uh, the one with Angelica Houston and uh, oh, God damn it. Um, uh, shit. You can do it. I can't I can't uh, remember what it's called. Help me out, chat room. Uh, Angelica Houston's in it. Uh, it was another big one for him. Um uh, uh, Sorry, they're talking know. about John McTiernan now. No, no, no. no. Okay, on. you'll find it. Um, and uh, uh, Manhattan. Manhattan no. was another one that's pretty. Manhattan's really good. That's a good serious slash comedic Celebrity, one. Celebrity, by the way, is also the Adams good. Family. One of Not the Adams notes. Family. That's Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, um, what do you want? Oh wow, we dropped. We just we, we had it. And we lost it. And I and I'm I'm trying to think of the lead actor's name. Of that. I should, Martin Landau. Landau. Martin Landau is the star of it. Um, Woody Allen, Martin Landau. Shouldn't be hard to find. I think he's only Shadows, Shadows and Fog, Crimes don't, and Misdemeanors. Don't have Crimes hair, and Misdemeanors. Thank right. you very much. That was Gibtown. Yeah, Crimes and Misdemeanors is awesome, and uh, it's 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 if you want a movie that'll like make you go, now I feel bad about humans. That's <laughs> that's that's the one. Um, but uh, so that's kind of this, and now and now it's like, you know, he's I, I've skipped his last decade of work. Um, you know, he makes a movie like every six months, but uh, that's that's fine. But uh, I have seen because I get, got a screener of it. The, the one that's nominated for all the Oscars is, is uh, Midnight in Paris, which is cute and fun and has the lamest tacked-on ending of a movie that I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's kind of the, he's probably going to die soon, let's give him some more Oscars movie. I don't see how it's any more awesome than every movie he makes every year, but uh, it's a cute, fun little movie. Um, but yeah, Woody Allen definitely started out just making goofy, wacky comedies. It's, it's as if Kevin Smith turned into Martin Scorsese. You know, over the course of his career, which I guess there's still time, but I'm just not I'm not seeing the trend. I forgot to mention it. It yeah. was in the chat room. They were talking about it for a good 10 minutes. Scorsese. Yeah. Gangster movies, noir gangster movies with a lot of grittiness. And then like, I, I've had this conversation with people lately about Scorsese, t- just talking in terms of director's trademarks. That's sort of the theme of this <laughs> episode. Music. Um, Scorsese's thing. Someone said. Why has Scorsese never won an Oscar? And why is he suddenly like a thing that they're talking about? He should win an Oscar. And my, my thesis... I think he has now, hasn't he? Yeah, he, he, won, he, won he won for, for Departed. They gave him the pity Oscar for Departed. De- yeah. Departed. Uh, my thing with Which Scorsese is, is, is mostly... Okay, well, if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, or grew up watching movies in the 70s and 80s, all right, well, Coppola does these big important movies, Lucas does these big fun movies, and then Scorsese does these cool gangster movies. And by the time you reach 1991, 92... Uh, if you know those those names, you know Lucas for that, Coppola for that, and Scorsese for that. At some point in the late 90s, Scorsese decided, I'm going to stop making gangster movies. I'm going to make 
one of these, one of those, one of these, just because he's getting old. He's kind of like, I'm sick of that shit. I want to do something else. And that's when you start seeing people divided on Scorsese. Because Scorsese, for a long time, if you liked him, you liked him. If you didn't, yeah. I don't care for Just him. Just keep making but, Goodfellas. But basically, if you liked any one Scorsese movie, you would like any other. If you like Goodfellas, you're going to like Casino. It's kind of the same sort of thing. Then he starts making Aviator and Hugo and, and Departed and those. It's like, oh, those are all kind of different. I would put then all of a sudden you have to you have to just sort of part of it is back a return to form yeah yeah, yeah. kind of but then you have to start deciding do I or do I not care for Scorsese and that's when you get the should we give him an Oscar should we not I don't know like previously the answer was no but now it's like should I, I didn't like Aviator I did like Aviator I don't, and that's when that sort of sort of happened with Scorsese I loved Aviator I, I loved Aviator I did not care I think for it was Hugo. nominated for some things I have yeah. seen Hugo yeah, it it certainly should have been edited for. Uh, Cinematography, and it was it was in the Bake Off for visual effects. I don't know if they remember if it was nominated, but Aviator was. Yeah, um, Rob Legato visual yep, effects. It would have been it. That was Rob yep. Legato. Legato, what a badass. Anyway, <laughs> Rob Legato. Legato. Now we've got ten minutes left. I want to talk. Let's move away from directors. We've spent forty minutes on directors. Back to the subject, which was what we started with: an artisan in the Hollywood system who's done the same thing with you know degrees of separation their entire career. Let's move away from directors. What ben else Bird. you got? Ben Burt. Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> Kaufman came up in the chat. I like Kaufman. Let's start with Burt. Ben Burt. Fucking good play, I don't play, know if you can like, spot Ben Burt, but Ben Burt is, is, is like, talk about it, yo. How many sound effects guys can you name? I can do one. Ben Burt. And Ben Burt, uh, I mean, right off, uh, if, you know, if you don't know, if you don't know, which you should know, know, but if you don't, Star Wars and Wally and Jurassic Park. And, and everything Indiana in between. Jones. Yeah. And yeah. everything else. Just his sound effects creator is his main claim to fame. That he, you know, blasters sound like blasters and Wookiees sound like Wookiees because Ben Burt, Ben Burt figured out how they should sound and how to make those sounds in the pre-digital era. And it's weird. The more technical, I guess, even though there's artistic choices in sound design, certainly, the more technical you get with the artist, the more it seems their overall career stamp isn't a good or bad thing. It's just good job. You can't say, you know, I can always spot a Ben Burt sound effect. I'm sick of hearing the Ben Burt sound effects. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm so tired it's, of the it's Ben Burt like, sound. It's more like, fuck, Wally sounded cool. How do they yeah. come up with that? Well, maybe that's just because the less, t- is that? Maybe. Maybe the less art, like, obviously artistic you get with a field. Like, if you move away from photography to sound design, you go less, I can smell a style and more, I can smell quality. Maybe. I don't know. Charlie Kaufman would, would be the antithesis of Ben Burton in that term. Uh, aside from the fact that they've both done really good work their entire career, Kaufman's more... You can really feel when a script is trying to be cool. And Kaufman's scripts always feel deliberate, but they never feel like they're trying to impress you that much. I, th- I think Kaufman is one of the great epitomes of... he doesn't. It doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks or wants him to do. He's got <laughs> yeah. his thing, and he's going to do it. Yeah, no, and like it's not not in a sense of he's he's has you know a finger up to the world. He's just not capable of doing <laughs> anything else. He's marching to his own drummer, that Charlie yeah, Kaufman. Exactly, and you're not breaking through those walls no matter yeah. what. Um, it's like Charlie Kaufman is right on the cusp of like if he if he was any more Charlie Kaufman, he would be David Lynch. <laughs> it's, it's like, and now you've lost me, and now I don't know what you're the falling fuck you're over doing. the precipice into that great yeah. chasm known you're as. Right Lynch. There. If he was any less, he'd be Shyamalan. Yeah, like he's right, right there. You're right there in that perfect zone. Let's see how long he can maintain that. He's got a new one coming out about the Oscars and like TMZ and shit. I don't is he remember. directing this. One? A, I think it's a musical. Even <laughs> wow, Charlie. Ka- of course, Kaufman of course, it is. Me is that guy where he's like. If you ever watch an interview with Charlie Kaufman, it's always like, God, I like that guy. 
fuck, that guy's cool. And he strikes me as the kind of guy where it's like, I did Malkovich. Everyone liked it. I was like, um, weird. Okay. And then he wrote, uh, right after that was an adaptation, I think. And then he wrote, uh, The Dangerous Mind, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Then he wrote Eternal Sunshine. Mm -hmm. Then he wrote Synecdoche, New York. He keeps writing weirdo shit. It's always weirdo. Like, the only trend you can plot onto Kaufman's entire career is weirdo guy. But you can't (laughs) say, you can't say, he always does the thing where... It's just weirdo guy. No, I think you could tack on to him uh, a very existential, what is real? Am I real? Is the world around me real? And that question. That's good. That fits. That's right. Yeah. What is yeah, well, real? It's a, what that, is reality? Question yeah, reality. W- what is real? And that's art with a capital A and existential whatever. But that is that is what he is. Interesting. Looking at the chat now, uh, we already mentioned John Ford. John Wayne is an actor. He does the, well, he's just John Wayne. He was that's just known for a lot of things, but that's why that's why again I keep stressing and we'll talk about it more in Unforgiven is look at the last couple of movies he's made where he he actually did sort of try some new things and those are among his best best work. For are you talking Ford? Uh no. Wayne. 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 John Wayne. Specifically the, the shoot, other John. The Shootist and the Cowboys. Are, uh, he made two westerns and and uh, they're not like his other westerns. The chat is bringing uh, neither of you guys are Doctor Who guys, are you? Not yet. Nope. No. Yeah, really. It's, I, it's, there's, there's two kinds of people in the world, apparently. People who Doctor ready, Who fans pe- and people who people who Doctor haven't who seen fans. Doctor Who yet. Apparently, is how it works. Uh, I I do have a thing on this, so I'll I'll take it over for a second, and then I'll throw it to something that everyone else can talk about. Uh, it it came up recently the, the subject of the difference between like a Ridley Scott and a James Cameron with Alien and Aliens and Russell T Davis, which is spelled Davies, yes. but it's pronounced but Davis. Davis because those British those British people, uh, Russell T Davis. Uh, was the guy who brought Doctor Who back, and then when David Tennant, who is the real Doctor, everybody <laughs> left, of course, the current guy Matt Smith, who I like a that lot, came in with too. Stephen Moffat, and it was someone said, you know, Stephen Moffat really is better at this than Russell T Davis was, and my my the, the, <laughs> the argument I had, the tangent I went on was, look, it's literally a Ridley Scott James Cameron thing. It's you need Russell T Davis to bring something that weird back and make it work, kind of. And then when everyone's on board, it does take a different skill set to go, gotcha, okay, how about we do this? Yeah. And that's when you get Stephen Moffat, and that's where the Matt Smith episodes came from. Um, so someone mentioned Stephen Moffat. Moffat also, I, th- I think it was Moffat, wrote Sherlock. Yeah. Uh the new, sh- the new sh- the Cumberbatch. If you were, exactly. Yeah. If you were gonna put a, by the way, if you have, if you haven't seen it yet, Netflix it this second. Uh, watch Sherlock. There's only three episodes. They're all ninety minutes. It's like three discreet, way better than Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock. Shows. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just started Downton Abbey, and I'm gonna commit. <laughs> but there's only six of those. So. Stay with it. Uh, but uh, Stephen Moffat's career-wide thing is, it sucks to say this. Smart and good at this. There's not a flavor. It's just <laughs> smart and good at this. That's which, the unifying thread. Which <laughs> Non-suckage. Which, if I had to connect that with anyone else in this conversation, that would be Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright is just smart and good at this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with varying degrees of success. Well, we're, I, we're all I, waiting for the Edgar Wright failure. You know, like the like like Scott Pilgrim didn't wasn't an out and out failure. We're looking for the one with yeah. the total face plant. I'd say Edgar, Edgar Wright has a little more style in he, your he face. He absolutely style. has a style. He, a little bit. Well, a, little, a style that's a little more in your face than. Stephen Moffat. I mean, uh, and maybe that's bullshit because there's style all over the new Sherlock. Uh, so I don't know. I haven't obviously watched Doctor Who. Sherlock is the CSI of stylish. Yeah, it's just like wh- there it yeah. is. <laughs> he did it. 
<laughs> from scratch. They have wow. all. They have all the style. Yeah, but I mean, you could you could very clearly plot the these those certain moments, the, those like scene transitions in both Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, and to an extent, uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Sure, yeah. It's like the the slam zoom insert pedal montage thing. <laughs> Like, yeah. yo, mother, you just uh, that's, that's, warn me so I can take a step back yeah, when you do that. <laughs> right now, that's his, that's his thing. But, uh, you know, I, I, I assume he'll probably move away from that. If he did, it's like eight movies where he just keeps doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna go, okay, Edgar, yeah, we got it. I, right. can't, I can't wait to see Edgar at, you know, 55 after he's been divorced and <laughs> had a kid die or something. <laughs> oh, like, wow. Everything like, changes. You, oh, heard, just like, you heard it here first. Brian wants Edgar Wright to have, <laughs> to have a dead kid. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> Don't use this against me when I run for office. I totally do. Yeah, there's, there's but, you lo- know, some that, of those directors like you want. To, okay, when he just, calms down, he's gonna really exactly. He's gonna really show us something. Actually, um, well, you were waiting on Fincher for that for that's, 10 years. Well, actually, uh, actually, another one that um, someone and I'm not the one only one to say this. I read a review that said the same thing. It's like when J.J. Abrams calms down a little bit more, we might yeah. start to really see something pretty odd. Not that no, and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm more than arms reach away from Brian, so I'll say I liked Star Trek. Yeah. I liked Star Trek, and I wanted so hard to like Super 8, and it almost got me, yeah. but it didn't quite get there for me. But, well, it's, but, I think... And I haven't seen the Mission Impossible that he did, but, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, oh, three. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 but I think, you know, clearly he's good. Clearly he's good at this. He's, you know, he's, he's, and there's a, I think there's a hell of a story that he's got that he's going to tell us one of these days, and I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Abrams from, is from very Abrams. much, it, and Star Trek is, I include this in the set, he's, when you're in the theater, you are so fucking on board. Yeah. And I was the same way with Super 8. I was on board with Super 8 in, in the theater, but then you walk out and it just doesn't stick. Yeah. It, uh, it's like you a try story. And, it doesn't try and piece stick. it together later, like, what happened exactly? Yeah. I don't even remember what that story was. Yeah, it's it's weird that way, but um, actually, you mentioned you mentioned Fincher, and um, I was thinking the other day, one of the, and this is maybe going back to something, but I was, I, w- I was drawing a line between Cameron and Fincher, which on the surface you go, yeah, they're techno-thriller guys, basically. You know, t- Cameron's a little more sci-fi normally that, than Fincher. Norm- Fincher don't normally works in the real world. But um, I really, I, I found, I just sort of found in my head, I said, I, I can, there's a real clear difference between Fincher and Cameron. Um, Cameron is just an unabashed romantic. Every single Cameron movie has a mushy-ass love story at the core of it. Just the drippiest, Sweet Valley highest, you know, just three hanky hallmark card of a love story is at the core of it. Every single one of them, except, except Terminator 2, but that's about the kid and his mother's relationship. But every single movie, Titanic, True Lies, Avatar. Sentimentalist. Yeah, you know, so sentimental. But he means it. He fucking means it as opposed to Spielberg that I always find cynically sentimental like I'm gonna make you sad I'm gonna make you feel I'm gonna emotions. have the power over you by making Cameron, you feel Cameron, things Cameron's been married five times he is a romantic he's not good at the rest of it <laughs> but the romance part he's all about and because I think you know he means it he really means that whole mushy I love you I will jack I will hold on for, he means that shit when he does it as opposed to Fincher who hasn't done a love story yet if you peel back all the all the layers of a Fincher movie instead of a mushy beating heart you find a perfectly round steel ball bearing that's always somehow two degrees below room temperature. <laughs> that's that's the core of a Fincher movie, and, and the core of a core of a Karen movie is a big, sloppy, bushy, beaten, bleeding heart. Uh, that's my that's my that's my take on those two dudes. So to bring it full circle in terms of a, sen- a, a sensibility, 
story-wise versus a sensibility, you know, technique-wise. Again, it doesn't matter what the story is. Yeah. But, and also, but Cameron also writes virtually everything he does. Right. And by God, he'll get that squeezy love story in there. Fincher sometimes, I don't think he, he writes necessarily as much. Normally the scripts come to him. But name a Fincher movie that has a love story in it. Well, there is... Seven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. That ends well. The only one that even remotely has a love story in it is uh, is the, uh, the the building blowing up one. Uh, Fight, Club. Fight Club. Fight Club. And yeah, and, 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 and what story. a sweet what a sweet yeah. story that is. Those two crazy kids. I want to have your abortion. That's the that's the, clo- that's the, that's the closest to a, like a, a love story that Fincher's ever gotten in one of his movies. That and 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 uh, you know Ripley has sex with a doctor real quick in Alien Three. There's some stuff in Dragon Tattoo, but you're still right. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen the trailer. I don't think that's <laughs> gonna be a love story. Oh, I exactly. points out Benjamin Button. That's kind of cute. Benjamin Button does have a does have a love story to it. Um, that's that's and and you know and that's the one that where he said, it. "Okay, here's your Oscars. Yeah, Fine, right. anyway. here you go. Have your Oscars." That was 60 minutes on the subject the of blathering. director trademarks and Style, whether or not that's a good of. thing or a bad thing. Kind of. I'm just saying that's what it was. <laughs> Such a fine line between a, a visual, dependable visual stylist and a hack. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And a stalwart of the genre. A stalwart, a remaining a stalwart. <laughs> this has been the intermission, and you can find these on a weekly basis for now on downinfront.net. My name is T. Christie. Brian Finnefter. Chris Stokes. And this was a not down in front thing where we talk about movies, I guess. All right, then. Elijah, anything? That whole time, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you much for listening. Good night. Good night. Who busts out the Elijah reference? <laughs> what, what empty place setting reference would you go with first? I, I, not, there's none Tiny other Tim? to be had. <laughs> well, then That's there the you go. Of it. Tiny Tim. Oh man, is that I, too sad and also spoilery for? <laughs> I picture a microphone by the fireplace, <laughs> empty.